Well, it is good to see you. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and I have the honor and privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to be able to open God's Word with you again today. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I got to preach, um, and you know the topic was how the world is going to hate you. Thanks, Jason, uh, for putting me up there for for that sermon. Then gone for a week, and now able to be back with you. We're actually going to be in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get that and turn to chapter 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one um, underneath your seat or somewhere around you. Please take that, and that is our free gift to you for you to use and and study God's Word with. Um, Before we get started, I want to share with you Um, A quote that I came across in my preparation uh, for today is from a book that you may have heard of before called Mere Christianity, and it was written by a pretty well-known author, C.S. Lewis, and in this quote, what he does is he gives uh, this idea of what he believes is humanity's greatest reason for living, and I want to share this quote with you. He says this, all that we call human history, money, Poverty, ambition, war, classes, empire, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So basically, what C.S. Lewis believes is the driving factor behind why humanity exists is for this idea that we should be happy all the time. Now, all of us know that the likelihood of that is pretty low. We are never going to live this life where we are 100% happy all of the time. We are going to go through difficulties. We're going to go through sorrows. We're going to go through pain. And often, whenever we go through those really difficult times that bring sorrow, that bring pain, there are two questions that we kind of land on um, in that situation, and it's usually these two things. Number one, how long is this going to last? And number two, why am I going through this? Raise your hand if you've ever asked yourself those questions before in a hard situation. Okay, thank you, honest people. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, uh, I don't know. But the thing is, is the passage that we're going to be studying today, Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples who are going to be going through sorrow, he's not really concerned with the two questions of how long is this going to last and why am I going through this, but what he is going to do is he's going to talk to them about something that is going to speak to their hearts and is going to speak to our hearts, and it's something that will bring a fullness of joy that extends beyond their difficult and desperate circumstances. And that's what I want us to think about today, not the sorrow, not the difficulty, but what is the joy that comes out of that situation? And there are three distinctive characteristics that we're going to see in John chapter 16 that characterize this fullness of joy that we are going to walk through together today. So with that being said, I want you to take your Bible and go to John chapter 16. And the first section that we're going to look at is verses 16 through 21. I want to read this again. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. 
Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So the first characteristic of this fullness of joy that we see in this passage is this, that it is revealed in times of sorrow. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has talked to the disciples about this. In fact, when he's having this conversation with them, he's actually at a point where in a matter of hours, he is going to experience being arrested and then, of course, eventual crucifixion. And three other times at least in the Bible, he has told them, I am not going to be with you forever physically. In fact, in, in chapter 7, verses 33 through 34, he says, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Then in chapter 12, verses 32 through 36, he refers to himself as the light, and then he says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And then finally in verse 13, after he has predicted Judas's betrayal, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And despite the fact that Jesus has told them on more than one occasion, I'm not going to be around forever, and clearly they are confused right now. What is he talking about? What does Jesus mean when he says, I am going to go away for a little longer or a little while, and then I'm going to come back for a little bit? And as if the confusion that they were experiencing was enough, he is going to take it a step further. He's going to tell them explicitly that they will experience extreme sorrow. They will weep and they will lament as the world rejoices. However, we we miss the entire point of this passage if we fail to look at verse 20. And I want to share this with you. And really, this is probably the chief verse of this entire passage we're going to be looking at today. And I'm going to read it again. Jesus tells them, you will be sorrowful, but your joy or your, your sorrow will turn into joy. Think about that. Your sorrow will turn into joy. You know, we read these first verses, it doesn't really feel like an advertisement for joy, but we often fail to see as human beings that that joy and sorrow are actually connected. You know, it's our inclination to avoid sorrow at all costs, but the truth is that our greatest joys often come from our deepest sorrows. Our greatest joys often come from our deepest sorrows. And Jesus, he explicitly illustrates that, right? He, he gives this metaphor of childbirth, and he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow when her hour has come, but when she delivers the baby, she no longer remembers that anguish, but there is that newborn there in front of her, and she is looking down into its eyes. And although that sorrow was present, that sorrow is not remembered. You know, I'm sure... 
excuse me, I'm sure that ladies in the room would love to maybe just skip that whole nine-month pregnancy period and the really difficult time that is the birth giving and, and being able to just receive that baby in our arms, cute and newborn. Like most of the ladies in here, I would say, it's not good to speak for ladies, I, I've been told, but I would say that that would probably be a desired outcome. But the thing is, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Jesus tells them, you, you can't experience joy without experiencing sorrow. And the sorrow that they are going to eventually experience is physically watching Jesus go through the process of crucifixion. They're going to see his body bruised and beaten and hung on a cross until his last, last breath is no more. They're going to watch their best friend and their Messiah be killed. And talk about sorrow. Talk about sorrow. What we cannot forget, though, is the sorrow that came from Jesus' death is necessary because it's his, his death that made a way for mankind to be saved. That sorrow was short-lived because Jesus predicted, and it was true, that in three days he would be resurrected. And through his resurrection, he would defeat death. He would defeat sin. Remember the metaphor that he uses in verse 21. Hey, whenever the female is giving birth to a baby, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's excruciating, going through labor pains. But when you see that baby, the anguish is forgotten. And that's huge. You know, one commentator put it this way. I want to quote him. He says, most of us assume that our sorrow is going to be replaced by joy. But the promise of Jesus is that the very thing that caused sorrow is also going to be the cause of joy. That is a revelation of one of the great principles that marks authentic Christianity. One of the ways by which our Lord works in our life. He takes the very thing that causes us heartache and sorrow and turns it into a cause of joy. Now let's look at verse 22. After Jesus has told them that they are going to experience sorrow and, and he is going to go away for a little while, but then he is going to eventually come back. Listen to what he says in verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The second distinctive characteristic of joy that we see here is that it is opposed to the world's attacks. It's opposed to the world's attacks. This joy that he's talking about is this transcendent joy, a joy that cannot be taken away by the world's circumstances. That's what the resurrection of Jesus brought for those who have placed their faith and trust in him. Our joy is predicated on Christ's victory over sin and death. Now, it doesn't negate the fact that Satan tries really, really hard to steal our joy, doesn't he? He throws those circumstances at us. We find ourselves in those situations, and, and, and Satan is at work. If you don't think that's true, I'm, I'm going to lovingly tell you that you're mistaken. He would love nothing more than to rob you of the joy that we're talking about here. But true joy in Christ cannot be robbed. 
Satan cannot take that away. But you know what? When our, when our joy is found in other things, power, relationships, friendships, acceptance, money, hobbies, whatever, that joy can be taken away. I, I read this illustration that I thought was kind of funny and kind of pertinent. This person said, placing our joy in the things of this world is like putting your life savings into a piggy bank and leaving that piggy bank on the side of the road with a note that says, hey, please don't steal this, it's real valuable. Like, people are going to steal that, right? But when our joy is in Christ, it's like locking our life savings in the most secure bank in the world. It can never be taken. It can never be taken. And and I love that Jesus tells them, listen, I I know you're going to go through sorrow. I know, it's inevitable. But... When the time comes, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Church, we need to be reminded of this today. That the joy that we have in knowing Christ must be maintained no matter what we face. But let me validate, I know that the struggles that you may be facing even right now or you have faced are hard. And those struggles often take our focus away from the true joy that we have in Jesus. And those feelings that you've had in those situations, I want to validate that. I I think that we can't just sit around pretending as though, oh, everything's okay, we're good and well. No. You know, one thing I love about Solid Rock is we believe in extreme vulnerability and transparency. We do. But... That doesn't mean that we can't forget the truth of what God's word has to say in those circumstances. The problem is when our joy is contingent on sorrow. When we're going through something hard and our joy is disappearing just like that, that is not good. As Christ followers, we have a joy that can never be extinguished. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, Peter encourages Christians that this, we can rejoice in our salvation, in this guarantee of a relationship with Jesus despite what the world throws at us and my prayer is that you are encouraged by that today the joy of Christ is enough and no one no one can take that away the third characteristic of of this joy that Jesus is talking about here is that it is strengthened through answered prayer Strengthened through answered prayer. Listen to verses 23 and 24 again. John says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You know, the, the disciples' joy here transcends whatever circumstance that they are experiencing because it flows from the promises of Jesus. And there's two promises here. First, the promise that he will return and the promise that he will ne- we will never experience separation from him again. And one of the times whenever their joy will be most evident is when they will experience answered prayer. And I think the same is true for us. These moments whenever we receive answered prayer are what help us to press forward in our mission for Christ. They are what help us to continue to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and to ask God for things that we cannot do. The promise of answered prayer, though, does raise two questions that I think we have to address. And here's question number one. Does that mean that God is inclined to do whatever I want him to do? The answer is what? No. Thank you for not saying yes. That would be really not good. The answer is no. God is not contingent on, how God works is not contingent on what we want. Right? We are subordinate to him. And and there is one guideline that he mentions in verse 23 and 24 whenever we're talking about asking um, for prayer, requesting things of God, and it's asking in his name, in his name. You know, immediately that dispels this whole idea, this false teaching of the prosperity gospel, that we can just name it and claim it, and God will automatically give in to our every whim and want. That is false. And if you have heard that, let me tell you, that is wrong. It's not just a name it and claim it kind of a thing. If you're really reading the Bible and what it's saying in context, the prosperity gospel and just asking God and expecting him to do everything we say, that's just not how it works. And and maybe you aren't inclined to pray this way, and that's good, but I want to encourage you to do an exercise this week. I would encourage you to get a piece of paper. You could do it in your head, but writing things down helps us to remember. And I I would encourage you to take that piece of paper and make two columns. And on one column above that uh, that first column on the left, I would encourage you to write the word comfort as the title. And then on the other side, I would encourage you to write the word mission. And then I want to encourage you to think about your prayers, your specific prayers over the past 30 days. And then be honest, and I want you to categorize into which column those prayers would go whether it be comfort or whether it be mission. And listen, you you don't cheat, okay? Just because you add in Jesus' name at the end of the phrase doesn't mean that you get to put it in the mission column. But really be honest about what your prayers have looked like. And I don't think it's it's bad to pray for things that you desire. And if it uh, contributes to your comfort, I, I, I think that's okay. But what we're talking about is the primary focus of your prayers. Is the primary focus of your prayers you, or is it doing what God has called you to do? Remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It starts out, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So not only do we ask the question, You know, does God 
just cater to our every desire. We've already established that that's a no. But here's a second question we need to consider. How does prayer make our joy overflow? You know, for being honest, sometimes when we think about prayer, it's something that we do just because we have to and not because we want to. Right? It's just the Christian thing to do, so we do it. But we have to understand, church, prayer is communing with Jesus. That's a big deal. Communing with our Savior. The opportunity to be able to talk to Him, to let Him know where we're at in life, to let Him know the difficulties that we're facing. Does He already know? Yes. But most of us enjoy talking to our close friends and loved ones. Why wouldn't we enjoy talking to Jesus the same, if not more? You know, Jesus promises the disciples, that their sorrow will be turned to joy because they will be reunited with him. And when we think about the the sorrows that we go through, we can trust that God sees us in those moments and that that sorrow is not what defines us. And that whenever he went back up to heaven and he ascended after seeing the disciples, after defeating death and sin, We were called to to pray to him. He left us the Holy Spirit to be able to have that communing, have that time to be able to make it very clear what our wants and desires are, but also to communicate with the Lord. We need more prayer. And we need more Jesus. Those things go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. And joy comes when we ask Jesus to help us fulfill the mission that he has given us as Christ followers. And we need his help. Because I don't know about you, but there's times when I really try to do this Christian life on my own and I fall flat on my face. Can anybody else attest? We need him. And then alternatively, we have to consider this a lack of prayer means a lack of power, which in turn means a lack of joy. And I hope that is not what you desire today. I hope you desire to have a prayer life that is thriving, which then in turn means a Christian life that is thriving. You know, as we, as we land here, I have a couple of questions that I would like for us to consider together, and then we will get ready to go here. Question number one is this. When was the last time Jesus brought joy out of your sorrow? Now, I'm not asking you to revisit that sorrowful time so that you can be reminded of how hard it is. But I am asking you to think about that because I guarantee there was some joy that came out of it. Let's be honest. When we're going through that hard time, we're not trying to have people talk to us about positive things at all. Like, I just want to be upset and, and wallow and, you know, again, I, I validate those feelings, but, but what is the joy that came out of that situation? Let me give you an example. Um, recently, in the community group that I have the honor to be able to be a part of, we actually had a family that has experienced some extreme sorrow over the last few weeks, even months. Just one thing after another, left and right and left and right causing extreme sorrow. I I had a conversation with them just this morning, and something else has popped up. But 
you know the joy that's come out of that? I have seen this family grow closer together in supporting one another. I've seen our community group members be able to become more tightly knit, surrounding them in prayer and love and meals and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't even know. Like that is joy in the midst of sorrow. And I'm not sure what sorrowful moment you have in your in your mind right now, whether it's something you've gone through past tense or it's something that you're currently going through. But I would encourage you right now to not remember that sorrowful moment and the sorrow that came from it, but I would encourage you to remember the joy that came from it. And if you haven't experienced that joy, hold on. God's working, I promise. Joy will come. Question number two. How does the gospel preserve your joy through difficult circumstances? You know, where the first question, I asked you to consider that specific sorrowful moment. This question is is asking more about how that joy is preserved. Or in other words, how do I maintain that joy through difficult circumstances? Because it is something that has to be maintained, to be practiced. And I, I want you to remember this phrase, maintaining comes through remembering. And what I mean by that is when we remember our position in Christ, that we are saved, that we are redeemed, then no matter what we face, there's nothing that Satan can do to steal your joy. Do you believe that? There's nothing that he can do. There's no attack that you can take from Satan that Christ hasn't already experienced himself, and more than that, that he has already defeated that he is already defeated, and that truth right there helps us to maintain a powerful and a permanent joy. And then finally, question number three. If God were to answer everything from your recent prayers, how many things would be labeled as comfort, and how many things would be labeled as mission? You know, it goes back to that exercise I talked to us a little bit about earlier. Now, if most of your prayers over the last 30 days, whatever time period you use, falls under mission, man, let me tell you, that's awesome, and you keep going. If most of your prayers really are devoted to this mission that God has for your life to be the Christ follower that he's called you to be, that is great. You know, remember James chapter 5, verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. But if you're being honest today and your prayers mostly have fallen into this comfort category, then I would lovingly challenge you to consider more closely what God has called you to as a believer. And please know I say that to myself. Because one of the things that robs me of constant prayer is busyness. Anybody relate? Like I I tell myself, I got this, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And then I remember, hey, um, you know, there's this Jesus guy that wants to hear from you. And I have to stop and I have to remember he wants to hear from me. And he wants to speak to me. He has called us to pray for the advancement of his kingdom, not the establishment of our own. And again, it it doesn't mean that we should never pray for things that we desire. 
In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us to let our requests be made known to God. However, when our prayers are mostly focused on our comfort, we miss the opportunity to be empowered to do what God has called us to do and to be what God has called us to be. So as the worship team gets ready to come on stage, if God is speaking to you in some way, if he has impressed upon your heart something that you need to deal with, we have two opportunities for you to be able to do that. First, we will have prayer partners up front here, and at the end of the service, they would love the opportunity to pray with you. And then if maybe it's something a little uh, a little bit more difficult, or you'd rather talk to an elder, out in our commons, we have elders with lanyards that would love the opportunity to be able to w- work through whatever, maybe sorrow you're facing, or, or whatever it may be. But I would encourage you that if God is doing something in your heart, man, don't refuse that. It's, it's no accident that right now you might be thinking about that sorrow and you are struggling to get past it. Man, talk to somebody about how you can find joy in that. This, this joy that we are talking about today is not a joy of the world that is contingent upon unreliable circumstances, but it is a fullness of joy that is greater than our sorrows, that cannot be taken away despite what we face in the world, and that is renewed through answered prayer in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what your word had to say to us this morning. And I can't help but think that there's at least one, probably multiple people in this room who are experiencing some kind of sorrow, some kind of difficulty, even right now, and they have just been overwhelmed by it. No matter what it is, it just keeps knocking them down. And so, Lord, I want to ask you today to to come alongside them and to remind them of the joy that you may be revealing to them in the midst of that sorrow. And if not now, there will be a sorrow that comes. And then we need to be reminded that the joy of Christ supersedes whatever sorrow we may face. Lord, I thank you so much that we have a fullness of joy that we have access to because of the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Would you bless our time together as we enter through this time to respond, as we finish up our worship service today? Lord, give people the courage to talk to somebody, whether it be a prayer team person or an elder or maybe just some Christian friend. But we will never get over that sorrow when we are clinging to the joy of this world that is fleeting. We need to remember the joy of Christ. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this church. It's in your name I pray. Amen.